Hi, this is Bruce Cordell, and you're listening to Metagamers Anonymous. The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material on a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. And I'm John. It's episode number 212, I think. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about Theater of the Mind, but we already have an episode called Theater of the Mind, uh, which we did in like 2012. So yeah, our opinions may have uh, ventured 2012, a field. 212. <laughs> it's serendipity. It is, isn't it? I, I I did not notice that actually until I until like you pointed it out. Right I feel I, like I feel really it. dim somehow. So how's everybody doing? Dim sum. Dim sum. Yeah. Now I'm hungry. I'm back. Jason's on the show. I'm on a podcast again. Yay. Who are you? How do you feel about this, sir? I don't know. Yeah, a little it's, weird. It, it, it is a little weird, although I'm not on a podcast with the typical crew, so it's all um, new. There's a completely new face. There's semi-new faces. Typical? Yes. There's a completely new face. The listeners are appreciating that now, too. Uh, how are you, Vanessa? I am doing wonderful. This is your, um, your, your podcast debut? Yes. Yes, it is. Popping, popping your podcast cherry tonight. Exactly. I mean, you guys have talked about me, so I had to show up sometime. Welcome to the boys club. <laughs> Speak of the devil. You know, there uh, she is. It, it, it's Vanessa, <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's not. I, I no. Say no more. <laughs> let's let's stop there. Holy shit. Yeah. So we've uh, we we just got done do, uh, gaming today. That's we we did a very little bit of that. Oh Wait, my we god. We we did a lot more I must have missed We did a very little for like 6 hours today. Oh my god. I just, I I'm just I'm not sure what to think. It was more like four and a half, I think. I got to dance okay. just the side of a cliff. Yeah, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Dance still. Yeah. 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 As the rest <laughs> of us are looking at you going, "Well, that happened." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, there's a really wide path here. It's like two feet wide. She's like used to climbing in the mountains. You could fit three goats abreast you on that. You could fit three goats abreast <laughs> here. We, we've got this. Two, two burrows can walk right I'll meet down. you at the bottom. That's one of those funny moments too because I was sitting there thinking, okay, so Rich is talking a good game. This is this is fun. So his character is all like, you know, she, she's used to living high in the mountains. She's, uh, I mean, I get it. I get it. You're a dancer. It made sense that you'd have a decent athletic score. All right. I, I, I gotta it give you that. Part of the character. But I was really halfway expecting that to be a low number on your sheet because you have so oh, many other no. things that that character focuses on. So it's like, um, okay, so focus. I'm gonna get him here. This is gonna be funny because he's all like, oh no, this path is so is so wide. There's plenty of room. I'm gonna dance my way down the path. Okay, yeah, fuck roll it. Roll, roll your athletics. He's like, okay, that's a D8. Shit, okay. He rolled a 13. It yeah, it exploded. So it's like, okay, you dance. <laughs> you dance right on down. What did I say? What, what, did, I, what did I say? It's like, uh, the, there's the rail, you know. Wee! Wee! Because <laughs> <laughs> it was this zigzagging path down a 200-foot tall cliff. Uh, just not... No, I, I hit it. I hit it. I know I did. <laughs> it's okay. I know where my... I know, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I didn't need the extra sound effects, thank you. We're editing for Eric. Well, you know, I hear those sound effects at the oddest times. Uh, <sighs> Sorry. Try not to think about it. So uh, that was fun, though. We had a, a, I mean, it wasn't much of a session because it was mostly a let's introduce another player character and let's, you know, do some ice breaking and move on down the road. And there's a whole lot of 
Um, him, hum, ha, hum. Uh, but our team is beginning to learn where their strengths are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vanessa's character is good at building things. My character is good at dancing. Dancing. Um, right. My character is good at scouting ahead. And and John's <laughs> character is good at brooding. Well, John's if you can call it really good at have your strength. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Jonica's character is good at getting in your face. Yeah, literally. <laughs> right up oh. into your nose. Oh, that was. Gotta back so off the mics, guys. Great. Gotta back off the mics if you do that. <laughs> that was That was, so that was great. fucking hilarious. Oh, crawled over oh, to the, the table, table. <laughs> put her nose against his nose, <laughs> and role played for like a he minute. Said, so our snouts together, or joined at the snout. Was that it? It's like, because. Like uh, snoot to snoot or something like that. Snoot to snoot. <laughs> And oh, completely so impossible to sit there and role play my character who's supposed to pretty much be pissed. John is trying while to brood. I'm laughing my ass off. <laughs> trying to brood. I'm trying to brood here, damn it. The fox is in the cat's face. <laughs> Her, the way she was playing her character was really fun, though. Yeah, oh, that's great. Jonica for you. Yeah, Jonica's like, amazing. She always pulls really out a surprise. I've never played yeah. with her before, so that was fun. Yeah, it was cool. Um, uh, there, there, I mean, we'd been trying for a couple weeks to get her character written up for this game, and um, she was a little intimidated, I think, by how big the group was when we had Joe and Alicia playing with us last time, because it was like uh, six people, and she's kind of not been playing in those bigger groups much for a while. The group we've had on Sunday for a long time now has been four or five, just kind of depending on you know when when we're talking and uh, the uh, she hasn't been playing in the regular big group on Tuesday night anymore which is the one that's already got like seven people in it so I, I feel like uh, I didn't really get that when she tried to say it you know and then like you know it's like but but I mean, Joe and Alicia can't make it all the time, obviously. It's, it's very much a case-by-case situation. I know Alicia was going to be slammed this weekend with the stuff at work, so there was no way. Yeah. You know, so I, I just, I didn't feel bad about um, trying to get her in there. And, and then you guys, you, the Jason said, they're saying, so we'll have to get the others in next week. And, you know, it's like, eh, it's not rushing to saying that right this second. <laughs> you know, yeah. Eric makes it to next week. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, you know, and, and so don't think, guys, if you're listening, we love you to come play. Definitely feel free to do it anytime. I just wanted to get Jonica a chance to get in and actually be playing with us. So she had a character, because that's always a, a strong starting point for her. You know, the only reason she doesn't play a lot on uh, Tuesday nights anymore is because although she loves flocks, the game has become a very stressful experience for her. Um, yeah, and that's the kind of the point, right? It isn't fun anymore, so she doesn't have fun playing. She'd rather be resting because she's always so tired and stuff on the weekdays. The point of gaming is to relax and kind of be yourself. Right. Outside of or, yourself. Or be right. someone else. Or I mean, be right. someone gaming. completely different. Exactly. And, and, I mean, she does it well. You know, flocks would be another, if you got a chance to see that character, actually be another great example of someone who is stupidly animated and different. I mean, she's almost a cartoon. Um, that sounds awesome. Most of our listeners have heard her voice a time or three because I think Jonic even did an entire episode once as Flox. That's great. Which was just annoying as fuck. Yeah, but she's a, I mean, she's a fun character. She's just, she's a gnome, so she has this kind of like, even though the cart party's gone through so much difficulty and hardship and tragedy, and she's the boss. She's the person in charge, ostensibly. I mean, technically, Brick is, <laughs> Jace's character is technically the boss, but Flox is his boss. 
Flox um, is still my boss. Yeah. So I mean, he's technically king now, you know, like, but uh, Flox is very much that, that person who um, everything affects her very deeply, you know, so loss of life with some of the, the people, the, the brothers in arms they've lost along the way. And, and uh, some of the, I mean, a lot of the victories that they've had against this major conspiracy they've been fighting have been to her so badly outweighed by the defeats. You know, the, the 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 drawbacks, the things they did not accomplish. You know, we saved some people. She was very much a, yeah, I know we needed to focus on winning the battle if we couldn't win the war. But the fact that we couldn't win the war makes us, you know, a failure in this situation again and again. And she would internalize a lot of that. So she became a character who was always a ball of stress underneath. But because she's a gnome, and by gnomish standards, still young, of course, she her nature is very much upbeat, and she's a prankster, and she's all these things that... Just just come naturally to that kind of person. So she tries very hard to juxtapose these. And so Jonica has been a lot of cases, a very strong, a very powerful example to me of what immersive and meaningful role playing can be to the point where the character was no longer fun. And that, that to me says a lot about, Hey, maybe uh, we need to rethink some of what we're, you know, doing or how we're going about it, if that's where we get. But the truth is the campaign just became kind of unwieldy for, her, I think, because it isn't just her character. You know, mm-hmm. that is enough but if that's all it was, I think she'd have pushed through anyway, because she really does love the character. And it's hard when you've started a character first level and they have this campaign that's been building for years. These characters are 18th level now. That's crazy. You know, I mean, it's and it, they're going to be 20th before the campaign is done, you know, where it caps out. And I'm just like, this is really epic. I mean, this is it's it, it's hard not to be part of that at this point for her, but she's not enjoying it. And she just is enjoying the campaign. The campaign's become very political. There's a lot of intrigue. There's, I mean, we just had a major ally just backstab the party this week. How, Again. <laughs> maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Maybe. Because holy crap. You know, these guys are dealing with, I know I described this to you a little earlier today. Um, I don't know if, you, John, you were listening to that stuff too. But I mean, a lot of this, um, this, this uh, scenario I'm running, which is is the Zeitgeist Gears uh, Gears of Revolution Adventure Path by Ian Publishing, a lot of the stuff when you get to this level is very well designed, very well thought out. It is, I mean, Fifth Edition especially, it's not necessarily as hard to challenge high level characters as it used to be. It's it's a pretty well developed system at this point. You do have a more meaningful way to carry those challenges across the board into higher levels. I, I really do see that now that we've had a chance to really play it, but it's still means trying to determine what the appropriate types of challenges are at that level. And that's that's been kind of interesting to see. So the characters have been dealing with very, very powerful enemies. The kind that were making people piss themselves over having the idea of having to do it before they started doing it. Nira still has a sheet that she keeps lifting at the beginning of every session where she has written very fancy letters on the back of it. We're dead. We're dead. It's on the back of her character sheet stack. So, I mean, even if she forgets it's there, she's showing everybody every time she, you know, stacks her papers and shit. And that's that's the message we're getting at the beginning of every session lately. It's like, oh, we we are not going to fucking survive this. And, you know, some of the stuff that's happened in the campaign, some of like the changes in the rules of reality that they've dealt with because of this conspiracy that's realigning the planets and changing the the rules of the the world. Some of the stuff that's happened has made it harder for people to die. So it's actually been kind of a a mixed blessing there because the PCs have an easier time not getting killed. You know, um, just ask James, who has now had his character be at the very verge of death every session or two for the past like seven eight nine sessions keep trying you'll get it oh i know i'm, I'm working on it. no i i'm just it's ridiculous <laughs> he and rolls he's he like rolls so crap well. throughout the session every yeah. time he needs to make a 
you know, check against poison, fail. Check against this, fail. Check against that, fail. Fail, 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 fail. Okay, Death saves. you're dead. Death save, 25. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a 20-sided die. Right, yeah, no. Like, Wait, but, what? No. no. But, but you're not wrong. I mean, that's that's been kind of the way it's been. It's, it's funny. Yeah, he always pulls out of it. And the, the the weird thing about all this, like with the the kind of the rules of it is, I mean, even if he fails those death saves, you know, it, look what we've managed to accomplish. I mean, characters aren't really permanently dead at these levels. I mean, that's not the way it works. This is D and D, man. There's I was thinking that it. if he got, if he actually got swallowed by She Who Rides uh-huh. and taken away, there was nothing we were going to be able to do. And I was like, yes, this is the one. <laughs> the best part of it is, is that James is willing to accept that. He would, he would not fight that for a for, not in a heartbeat he would just go ahead and throw the next character sheet down on the table he's, he's ready got to go. it ready you know i don't know what it is yet but i know he's got it ready it's, it depends uh, on the character on how that plays out though because some people especially in high level situations they're really attached to their character and they they will hit a point where they if the character dies they're done playing I've seen people like that, at least. Right. Especially in that campaign or whatever. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be hard to imagine that. Rule number one. Just better be glorious. I am not my character. Yeah, but you get it. You've been playing Brick now since about second level. I mean... I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. In the last session, I was preparing myself for Brick's death. I was ready. I thought it was going to They've happen. been dealing with these mass, massively powerful enemies, and they deal with the betrayal at the last minute in this last session. And somehow, by sheer happenstance, Jason's character, Brick, happened to be accompanying this particular NPC to the bad guy to deal with them, and the rest of the party was completely out of range of being able to help them in any way. They hadn't rushed into range because they didn't know this guy was a threat. So they weren't there to help Brick when the guy went, oh, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm a bad guy now. You know, it turns out I agree with them. So, you know, either step back, surrender, or I'm going to have to take you out of the equation. Your fucking majesty. And, uh, you know... Brick had his moment, right? I mean, he definitely thought about it for a second, didn't he? There was a moment. So, so the interesting and then he thing remembered is the last time he fought Azerby. Right. This is the interesting thing: is this this NPC Azerby Varel? He he actually appears as this kind of cool challenge that the writer put together in the very first adventure. In the first adventure, the Zeitgeist Adventure Path, the characters are first level. At the end of the uh, in the fifth edition conversion, they might be third, but they're very low level. At the end of the first adventure, when this was originally written for like fourth edition and Pathfinder, you had an encounter with Azerby who was this massively powerful like in in because we didn't do the path uh, we didn't do the fourth edition we started in Pathfinder and converted this later in Pathfinder he was a 20th level character he was this massively powerful dreadnought who the party witnessed come tearing across the bay taking ships out as he goes jumping leaping from mast to mast with a sword that turns into living flame and just taking ships out left and right and mowing through people to try to get to the citadel to the same people the party's trying to get to party's trying to get there to save them as trying to get there to take them off to the Feyland and have them face their justice or whatever it was a fucked up situation but because of all that combat to get there all that situation to get there it was designed where by the time Asby actually got there the party was ready to, to potentially confront him and decide what to do he was down to one hit point so this came down to a situation where if the if the heroes decided to confront him, good chance he could start taking out heroes. But all that would have to happen is somebody roll a natural 20 on a die where you actually do some damage. And it's a done deal. Where they could actually hit him, you know? It's a done deal. So, I mean, ultimately, 
He did kill one party member right off the top. Will's uh, character, first character in that campaign before he played Dallin was, uh, we can't even remember his name now. He uh, he got killed immediately. And um, Brick stepped up. And so Brick has always carried this particular event with him because Brick had a feature you know, from Pathfinder, like they called the Unbreakable, where when he went to zero hit points... Or below zero. Actually, I don't remember exactly how it works now, but the way we do it now, it's like if he goes to zero hit points, he springs back up the next round if he wants to. <laughs> In Pathfinder, he could go to what? Uh, he could go to X, or he could go to HP up to his con mod minus below instead of the regular so negative ten. So I could have gotten to minus fourteen before. But basically, he confronted Azerby. Azerby took one huge hit at him because Brick missed, dropped me dropped him and he had the option because he wasn't completely down to that level he had the option to stand back up and brick played dead you know there was that moment of i i can't i can't i can't do this this guy's too powerful i can't handle this and he just played dead played possum let us go pretty sure he dropped me and i played dead before he killed dallin's character uh, Will's character. Will, Will's yeah. yeah. <laughs> da- before he killed Dallin's player's previous character. There'd be a difference. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the uh, that was where we were. That was the callback, right? Uh-huh. I mean, really for this for this session because this was suddenly because during that interim period, Asri became an ally against the uh, conspiracy, and now suddenly he's decided to throw in his lot with the conspiracy. And right at this moment, turns around and faces Brick. Nobody in the else in the party there to help him. The two go toe to toe. Azri was a twentieth level bad guy. Brick was a seventeenth level because you guys hit eighteenth level at the end of the session. Seventeenth level fighter and just fast and furious battle because you know it was only going to go a couple rounds because they could de- deal so fucking much damage. Um, it was good. It was great. It was a great encounter. And I, I honestly thought Brick was going to go down. Yeah, for good. There, it was going to be over, and then. A it was a very, very, very real possibility. Yeah. And I paid attention to my character sheet, <laughs> and I found one of those obscure little superiority die things that he has that I almost never use that I really should pay more attention to. Obviously. And got him by a second. Yeah, yeah. I had half a round before I was toast. So it was a really cool moment because it has that level of catharsis in it for Brick. And, I mean, again, he had to stop and consider even then because when Azari turned at him and said, you know, don't make me do this. You know, lay down your weapons, walk away. Don't make me do this. I could have laid down a second time against Azari Veral. Right. Knowing things like that you had the responsibility of a nation now. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing things like if you fell, then resource fall might not be far behind. But if I let him get away with she who writhes under his control, Reeser might as well fall. Yeah, that's possible. This was the moment. In any case, I thought it was handled really nicely. It was it was interesting to see how it came together because everybody else was in this moment of like in the background, like what can I do? You know, there's only so much. And then of course she who writhes the 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 Fae Titan. She was still a problem. You know, she was under his control and she was thrashing against the other party members. Anybody trying to get close and shit. It was a mess. On the plus side, now that you've seen that ability in action, you'll probably play it more. <laughs> right. I will never forget to repost again. <laughs> well, especially, I guess, for the last several, though, uh, Fate Titans that we've dealt with, Seed's been constantly, you know, talking to uh, Brick, saying over and over again, they are important to Reeser. They are Reeser. You know, we need to take care of our Fate Titans. They're not just monstrosities. They're also Reeser. It's what Zeke believes in. Yeah, but this wasn't about the Titan. This was about Azerby. Yeah, I, but I'm glad you confronted him because I would have been really sad if uh, She Who Rise was left under his control. Right. So uh, Alicia had a video this week. 
This is the new one where she talks about uh, theater of the mind versus like tactical combat maps and minis. And uh, I, I kind of knew where she was going to go with it because she's trying to do this. Her awkward DM channel is, is, is interesting because she's trying to do this sort of like a lot of groundwork type of videos talking about stuff that any D&D player or DM may have to you know deal with early on. You know, try to kind of add some some groundwork, some some advice from her own experiences, you know, kind of discuss ideas that people may or may not have thought of. And uh, she happens to be a game master who loves her maps and minis. Now, there is something to this because uh, if you are a person who loves your maps and minis, and I could be that person, I'll be honest with you, because I like maps <laughs> and I like minis. But if you're that person, then you're more likely to gravitate towards a play style where that becomes important because it feeds that interest, right? So, I mean, there is something to that. I've I've done a lot of stuff with tactical maps where I get to have pretty maps because I find what I want online and then I print the maps in a large format. Or, you know, where I print them page by page, you know, break them all down and print them and put a poster <laughs> together. And I've done that kind of shit a lot. I mean, I... I don't, anybody that, that has paid attention to the stuff we talked about in the past, I don't run maps and minis a lot, but I, it's not like I never do it. When yeah. the fight is going to be epic. That, that's typically... Lots and lots and lots and lots and case. lots of people involved. So uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation uh, or discussion, idea. I, I guess it's hard to call it a conversation because it's just her and a camera. Uh, and she and she presented the idea pretty well. She started by giving an example of, if you get a chance, to, I'll, I'll link the video in the show notes, but if you ever get a chance to look at it, it's pretty uh, cool and it's not real long. Yeah, she gave an example of, you know, narratively introducing the elements of the environment, you know, talking about it. And um, then she gave an example of the exact same room scenario she was describing with the map and showed some of the pros and cons involved there you know and she and heard the kinds of pros and cons that she focused on were things like you know with the map you have the advantage of everything being something everybody can see so it gives you the opportunity to include things that people may not think of in terms of a description because they don't know to ask the right questions whereas the cons include things like you have to take an extra three to five minutes to set up your map which breaks gameplay you know things like that i i have very strong opinions of my own we've discussed some of those on the show before and i'm sure we'll revisit them this episode a little bit but um i wanted to go ahead and put the question out to the community for to our patreon group um, if you happen to be interested in getting in on these discussions then uh you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash prismatic tsunami um you know link for that's on the site as well and uh we 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 do have a facebook group closed facebook group where we we connect on stuff regarding the show uh, i'm trying to use it more and more because it's a really great platform because we have enough people on it now that we really get some diverse feedback right which is kind of fun and all, all the cast members are on there a, a lot of the times that even people that are just occasionally on the i, I could add you to the patreon conclave if you're interested vanessa um like i don't know if i have you on there yet or john or not i not mean yet. you've been on enough shows i probably should too yeah <laughs> um but it's uh it's kind of fun to to see what people have in mind so uh i can uh, go ahead and kind of touch base on a couple of these the questions i just i had was basically do you prefer maps and minis with fear of the mind and why and I'll, I'll skip Richard's answer because he could talk about it here on the show and, and my own what? kind of um, feedback. But Caroline, for example, uh, says that uh, she likes a combination. I'm sure we'll hear a lot of that. Most of the time, 
I prefer theater of the mind during combat. I prefer map and minis. I thought that was an interesting comparison because that's uh, kind of pointing out the distinction has to do with whether or not you're in combat. And that's actually not what I'm thinking when I talk about it at all. I'm thinking of combat as the sole point of it. And something Alicia said made me think that there's something that I'm not thinking of too. Because I think when she runs a game a lot, John, you might correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you've been in any of her games, but I know a lot of, a lot of the players at the Burrow play in a similar way. I've seen um, her but I've not actually. I think she it. tends to. And I, I, I could ask her. I think she tends to take out you know, the you know the the rooms, the maps of the rooms as soon as you guys come into a room. So I mean, a lot of times, even if that's not going to turn into a combat, she has a lot of the groundwork laid forward in the fact that she has a map ready to go to lay out there. This is the room you enter. So it, it's kind of a shorthand for anything that, of interest that might. I'm sure if it's a completely uninteresting room, which I mean, I've been running D and D games long enough to know that that happens. <laughs> then there's no point in that shit but I mean some DMs may do it anyway because you know it makes a difference right Uh, so I mean there's that Caroline goes on to say well it does take up a bit of time to set up in my experience, it keeps combat a little smoother since we're not having to constantly check the distance between people at which bad guys are still standing or which bad guys are still standing. Which she says, we also don't necessarily use minis most of the time. We use colored stones or bad guys and either different colored stones uh, or minis for the characters. And that's, uh, I mean, there are a couple people chimed in on that as well. There's different things that people have used for to represent people on the map. But I mean, the, the concept is kind of the same, by the way. And that's kind of what I was wanting to explore. Becky says, our group was all for maps when we first started up, but as we grew, we learned new systems and improved our role-playing. We also began using Theater of the Mind. Now we only use maps to explore dungeons in D&D or when in introducing a location to the group. That was kind of interesting, too. And uh, there's a kind of a tradition, and I feel like I'm doing all the talking because I'm explaining shit. Um, there's kind of a tradition in D&D that goes way back where mapping was is part of the core conceit of the game anyway. And so drawing dungeon maps and stuff, whether it's it's a game master drawing things out or using it as a reference, or it's you know players trying to keep a map of where they go, which is based on the very simple concept that if I and my friends are wandering into a maze and we ever want to see the light of day again, we may want to have some indication of how the fuck we get back out. Otherwise, um, you'll get stuck in the labyrinth with the Minotaur. Right, you know. Uh, so, I, I don't know. Um, oh, good. My character's been looking for the Minotaur. Um, on the other hand, says Theater of the, the Mind always. He says he'll play Warhammer if he wants figures on a table. <laughs> <laughs> I, like the cut of, I like the cut of your jib, sir. And then uh, John, the other John, uh, says, I just finished a session today. My player surprised me tactically in a way that I had not anticipated, which was entirely based on their ability to see the map of the cavern system they were in. Basically, one character led a dragon on a merry chase the long way around some obstacles while other another severed the head of a Medusa and took the short route to try to petrify the dragon with a Medusa's head. It was a very cool dynamic moment. Would have been cooler if it had worked, but at least the temporary effect restrained the dragon and they were able to get away. Uh, to do that as theater of the mind would have been possible, but required a lot more forethought, description, and preparation on my part instead of the discovery of the two routes based on the map. Um, having just said that, I will also use uh, 2M when the illusion, so when the situation calls for it. I'm not sure. Theater of the mind. Oh, theater, oh, theater of the mind. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, when the situation calls for it. I, well, he wrote T-O-O-M. It should have been T-O-T-M. <laughs> when the situation calls for it, it can be a great tool for the right kind of scenes. And, and that's uh, one of the things that is one of my things about maps and okay. theater Discuss. of the mind. There are times when we have had a map and I have seen a map and I'm going, oh, look at the map. And I can plot and I can plan and I can be tactical and I can go, okay, if we do this and if we make our stand here and if we do this, we can bottle them into a corner. But 90% of that 
is stuff that my character's never seen. That's my problem with maps. Metagaming. Metagaming. Exactly. It's it's absolutely that. My question to John is did those characters did those characters have a map of this cave system or were they just in this cave system because if they were just in the cave system and they didn't have a map of their own they would have never known that there was a short path and a long path to take the dragon around and they would not have been able to do that cinematic interesting thing outside or inside that world that was totally metagame totally because assuming that assuming that the characters didn't have a map i I was i I was going to make a point on that though that you may you may be kind of glossing over just a little bit and there is a question, like, um, whether or not they had a map, if they had the characters knew that a route could be taken that would head off the other direction because of having explored the area. Then it wouldn't matter whether or not it was on a map in front of them. But they still might not have thought of it if they weren't viscerally seeing it in front of them. Right. But but the other question that, that comes to mind from that is, does that make it bad? Because you just said they wouldn't have gotten that cin- a cool cinematic dynamic moment but is it worth eliminating the possibility for cool and cinematic dynamic moments because you want to avoid metagaming? It doesn't eliminate the possibility of cool cinematic moments. You just I've said that couldn't have happened. That particular cool cinematic moment wouldn't have happened, but they could have come up with a different cool cinematic moment. I have had a lot of really cool cinematic sure. moments without a map in front of sure. me. Now, there, I, I, I think back to one of the very first maps I ever saw was uh, Castle Corstal. Okay. And or the Burning Sky. Or the Burning six, Sky, yeah. and inside the castle, gravity worked however you wanted it to, and if you believed up was down, you would fall up, and if you believed left was down, you would fall left. <clears throat> it was actually kind of a classic trope from the uh, elemental plane of error, actually. And there was a lot of interesting ways <clears throat> that you could click, and my character was all the way in the back, and everybody, and now, in the beginning, the map was completely covered up, and we would only see what we could see, but as soon as Fog one person yeah. got into the room, shrunk, okay, and now Jason could see bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, corner, door, window, this goes that way. So if I believed down was up, I would fall from this point in the hallway all the way to there. And then I'd be able to go, ha ha, surprise. And I started planning really awesome cinematic things that Kiernan would have never been able to come up with. Right. Jason did that, not Kiernan. And it completely took me metagamey and i had a real no i can't and, and then i was grumpy because i'm like well i can't do that because kiernan wouldn't know so i had to figure out a way to get kiernan into the room in a point where he would have seen that wall and then five or six turns later i'm able to do this cool thing that i could have done from the first turn had i been at the map right you know i have so many arguments I, against metagaming just in general regardless right. of maps against metagaming <laughs> but i yes. So yeah, that, that's why we're called Metagamers Anonymous. We're trying to break it. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's one of the reasons why I prefer theater to the mind because maps are inherently metagaming. My my break point yeah. comes down to and and I've run into this and I've ran into this on Tuesday, which Tuesday has additional layers on top of it. But my my break point is if if we're just doing skirmish, like there's a few of us, there's a few of them. No big deal. You know, or we're doing something, there's a giant thing, and we're all kind of around it. No big deal. But when there's several groups of them throughout the field, several groups of us fighting, I have a hard time without being on a map at least to know what group is with which people. So 
I end up I, there. There was a there was a point where we were like exploring caves. She had led us up to a cave, and we went in there, and the ghost person let us in, or whatever. Anyways, whatever. Angel hanging from the chains. Mm-hmm. We're back in there. We're, we're in the middle of this battle in this big room in these different areas. And there's groups of us doing other things. And I had a very hard time. We had a map in front of us, but we didn't have our marks as to who was where on that map. So I had a hard time getting in my head what group I was fighting, where my next target would be as soon as I was done dealing with this target and what I was needing to do to go forward. On the other hand, that was also during the actual play. So since we were recording it, we needed to make sure everything was spelled out and not just done visually anyway, because visual stuff doesn't come across on the uh, podcast. Go figure. For some strange reason, right? Yeah, because if you look over here, for example. Interesting um, point <laughs> about that particular dungeon, too. One of the reasons it became a, a point of consternation for us was because that was the place where when you went through a door into another area, and the areas were pretty fluid, when you went through a door, you often could not go back the other way. Right. So it, it mattered where you were in relation to other people because some people could help you and other people couldn't. Yeah, and, and I had no idea who I was near and who I wasn't. Yeah. What group of bad guys I was near and what group I wasn't. But I was having a hard time yeah. keeping track. I'd, I'd, that would make a difference. I, I would uh, submit that that's a failure to some degree on the part of your game master, not giving you clear information. And the reason I say that is because one of the arguments that I see a lot, and, and one of the arguments that was mentioned in there, was if you are running combats in theater of the mind, you often have questions about distances and locations and things. I constantly do, and I don't like it. Because those are part of the game formula. They're part of the mechanics of the game. Our, our ranges, our spells, our movement rules, all of that comes down to very specific information. Am I within 30 yards? 100 yards? Which which of these spells am I allowed to do and which ones am I not? Yes, Jess. Oh, oh, Mr. Kata, Mr. Kata. Uh, but at the same time, my character, if, if my character is anything like me, I couldn't, I, I can guess what 30 feet away is. But I don't have, like, a digital readout display heads up in my mind going, okay, this is 30 feet, this is 35 feet. So if I put the fireball right there, I will get maximum damage. But I like theater of the mind where you get to go, do I think that I would be able to get at least a few of these guys if I throw a fireball that way? If you play enough golf and you know you can hit that ball 150 yards using this whatever whatever... You have a good idea where downrange that is. A good idea, maybe, but it's not going to hit a, exact. A good idea is different than looking at a map and counting one, two, three, four, and five I would, squares. I would submit that, that that rule applies to golf because you also have visual cues about that distance. You know that that's where the green is. You know you have this that far to the green. You know, so yeah, but the monsters have little glowy circles to show the bad guys, right? And a little red tin. No, that's true. Yeah, good point. No, I, I so I mean, there is that. I, I and the title name above their head. And, and, and I mean, Jason's parroting some of the stuff we've talked about before, uh, pretty thoroughly. There, the, the fact that I have an issue with precision in combat because I like the idea that when combat is happening, everything is moving so fast that your character has no way of gauging everything all at once. Even things, details that might be important to them. Because you only get the opportunity to soak up so much useful sensory information in any two-second gap. But I try to compensate for that by 
committing to a style of narrative that provides the most personal information in any situation. And what I mean by that is that I will often, and it's, I know this is sometimes cause confusion when players aren't used to it. Um, so I mentioned it now because, you know, John's been in a, a campaign of mine now for several weeks and then Vanessa just for a couple weeks. But um, when I do this, a lot of times I'll say, okay, so it's not just such a person's turn. I get from them what they're doing. And then when I narratively describe what happens, I will often look at and say, you'll say, John, your character sees Jason's character do this thing. And I describe it from a third person's perspective, at which point I am engaging three people, the, the two and the bad guy, all in the same thing when he wasn't even in it. And that creates other people that same sort of sympathy sympathetic reaction like oh his character's seeing it from the outside perspective so mine is too probably and you get a certain amount of get now here's the funny thing i don't mind assumptions and that's i think where a lot of people run into trouble if you tell me okay i yeah like you often do this now by the way i don't know if you realize it but you do it's like okay i'm gonna get within about 30 feet and do this thing you don't usually ask stop and ask me how far do I have to get to get there? Sometimes you don't even ask me, do I think I can do it? If you just make that decision. That that's where I'm at in the zone. And the reason you know you can do that is because you know also that if it isn't feasible for some reason, I'm likely to say so. You're going to say, I'm going to get within 30 feet and do this thing. And I'm going to go, okay, well, you really can't from where you're at. And here's why. And paint you another piece of the picture. But most of the time, even if that piece of the picture was a problem, because I'm running a fluid game where you could zigzag around and put yourself in a position where the rules of the game don't specify specific pace elements that put you there. But I've got no reason to deny you that. I don't have to count movement squares. Right. Which I, I do appreciate that to a certain point. But that's only important to me because I want an immersive game. So I don't want to stop and count movement squares because, and here's, of course, my big issue with the maps, as we all know, because when you stop and start counting movement squares, you're paying attention to figures on a two-dimensional surface, a map representation area, no longer imagining this shit just solely which in your head. Which is where I would rather have a representation of which groups are fighting which groups than an actual map where I'm in a square, this is in a square, this is in the next square, this is in a square, I'm this many squares away. I just want to know who's competing with which group and how many bad guys I'm seeing on the field. I'll never forget the first round of combat that I had with Eric running the game when I was at your house. I hope that's because it went well. It, it was. Okay. <laughs> we were sitting there. I'll never forget that fucker, what he did to me. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, it was with Jacob. Yeah, but you asked for it. No, I'm joking. Thank you. <laughs> it, was with, it was with... No, thank you. <laughs> it was, was with Jacob. We had just come to the wall, and we just we just come over the wall. <laughs> and we got attacked by a wolf and an eagle, giant eagle and a wolf. He hadn't even made it over the wall yet, actually. I forgot oh, right, about right. the eagle. Uh-huh. And I, my first thought when we first got into this encounter, my personal first thought was how in the world I was going to keep up keep track of where in space these two opponents were because they weren't together they they you could tell there was distance between the two right and the, the description has a wolf rushing across a field an eagle circling by and shit i mean and it, it finally got to me and he's looking at me like okay what's jacob gonna do and i'm like well put this together let's see if this works i just looked at him and said well i would like to run up jump and just plunge my knife into this wolf's head i didn't know if i was in range or not i just right. threw it out there and sure enough he said it worked he said roll the die i rolled i got it and it made for a really epic scene what you helped build it right? yeah 
And, and that's actually, actually exactly what I was going to say. That's that's what I love about it because it is collaborative at that point. It isn't about me interpreting every little thing as a game master that goes on in the narrative. It's about me providing context for the narrative that we're all working on together. I I love the idea that when I, if I turn to somebody and, and as a game master in a situation where the scenario is unfolding, and as, as we know in combat, things often unfold very quickly. Um, if 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 I turn to you and ask what you are intending to do. Sometimes there will be that level of, okay, I need to know a thing here. Am I going to be able to do and accomplish this thing in this time frame? And what we usually mean by that, because we often think in terms of rounds and things like that, of course, because, mm-hmm. you know, can I do all this in one round or whatever? But that's because we recognize in the mechanics of the game that that round is all the action we have without anybody else being able to interrupt us. So that is, these are the things I can get done before the bad guy has a chance to do something in return. So if I'm going to run at that guy, jump and attack him, and it turns out that I have to run more than my pace, then I'm going to do the running, the jumping, and maybe I'll end up rolling that attacking the next round or whatever. You know, and that means that the bad guy had a chance at that moment possibly see me come and turn around and spin and, and, you know, put something in my face that I didn't expect to happen. But that is also, again, realistic and cinematic combat. So, I mean, I love the idea that things are unfolding organically and that that's what we can have at the table if we want it. Yeah. And that isn't always easy because sometimes the, the, the mechanics of the situation don't don't lend to it. Where you're talking about being able to um, notate somehow, you know, track who's dealing with what group of enemy. And I think I get what you're talking about because there have been a number of scenarios where people spread out, you know, and you got like a a troop of bad guys here and a troop of bad guys here and a troop of bad guys and a one, you know, one major NPC badass here and another one here. And people spread out and deal with different threats. It isn't uncommon to have to sit there and go, oh, which threat was I? Am I, am I on my own or am I with somebody else? Or um, and, and there may be something to that. I mean, maybe it would be appropriate to find a way to make some sort of quick notation on paper. Right, because I know, was or able something. to track during the last battle of She Who Rise because we were on three different boats. Right. I knew who was on which boat. Uh, and here's changed, I was able to track. Here's an interesting example. I have a tactical map, if I wanted to use it, that was provided to me by the authors of the book of the She Who Rides Encounter. I have this huge fucking grid I could have printed out that would have been hard-pressed to fit on your table <laughs> <laughs> because of the width of it. That was for dealing with this. And it was an abstract of the creature, of course, because the tentacles are all painted on the... I mean, and they're moving around. So right, it's not right. like it's... You know, but everything it's not is She Who Stands Still. Right. <laughs> Good call. But it's about... I mean, it was kind Kind of about how everything related to that central area, right? I mean, that's really what mattered. You could have shifted the whole of her round as long as everything kind of maneuvered with it. Right, it didn't but I matter. was able to track that because we knew where the boats were, we knew where it was, and I had a, I had a little picture of boats circling. Uh, but it didn't. Pool. But you didn't know exactly, and that it didn't matter. But I knew th- I knew enough details that if right. I knew something was happening on a boat, I knew which people were included in that. Right, you knew who and was where I was. You knew who was where, and you knew approximate range to target. You know, that was the thing that mattered. Yeah, and I think I only had to ask about range like three times, and that was just on certain things happening. Yeah, and because you're looking at different spell options, different, you know, different, um, can I get to this person in time, or can I do that thing with that person? Uh, and and that's, that's appropriate. That's important. I mean, I could have tried to track all that on a huge-ass map, but the truth is that it would have been a lot more work, as we know from the way it turned out, it would have been a lot more work than it was worth. Yeah. No. And, I, and I really wanted to run that scenario more narratively, because we have a limited playtime on Tuesday nights. I wanted to try to get the 
the entire scenario, that, that entire situation done in two sessions. And that included all the little flashbacks I was doing. So we'd start like in the middle of the action, I'm describing them dealing with the ship being shifted, thrown around at sea. I guess we haven't really talked about this on the air, have we? You know, um, so I started after, because we'd had a couple weeks since we'd played. And then like, you know, the ships are getting tossed at sea. And then I go and, and then I turn to the first person. <laughs> in this case, it was Richard's character, Zed, and say, which, you know, and then the tentacle goes up and everything goes quiet for a second, which reminds you of the quiet last night when you were at RHC headquarters and you were standing there and somebody was moving around in the hallway. And then I stop and look at Richard and he has this about two seconds to realize that he's being asked to Flashback. participate in this flashback so then it becomes a role-playing moment right i did this with between the two sessions with all six of the pcs awesome. you know which was fun I, it was a little confusing for them which surprised me i thought well, you guys should be used to this shit for me by now i but, still love how we all went through it and then the last person you did completely missed the fact that they were doing a flashback and i'm like what did all the rest of us just do uh, <laughs> was that was it was it the last was my the last was, was the last i thought one. i thought rick was last no mm. I don't think he. I don't think so. Were you? Or maybe you didn't. Maybe. Oh we, no, you were last. Didn't really count Brick because he was felt like he was in the middle of shit That's anyway. That's true. Yeah, he was. but because it, it made sense to kind of get to him last because he was the one actually dealing with the fight in the middle. Uh, but your flashback was to the night before the Raven, right? You know, so it's like uh, there's all this stuff, but it was this also this really rare opportunity for me to to touch on the things that were important to your characters in the background of their personal thoughts. I was actually happening. first, and then later you're like, I should have done that last. You were first. That no, the night. first one was Eve. that night. Oh, the second night. Oh, he yeah. was first. That's right. Milo was the last one. We sat down at the table, and you said, "That's probably because I knew what I was going to do with you." Because that's why I was, yeah. I was, I was laughing. I'm like, "Do we need to do the doodly doo, doodly doo, doodly doo to let you know we're doing a flashback?" Fish heads, fish heads. <laughs> um, so, so we had, um, I mean, we had Zed be visited by his mother, who's this estranged figure that's working behind the scenes. Uh, we had Magan um, being visited by uh, her, or, her, or it was, it was the uh, her former mistress stopping in suddenly you know dropping in which was <laughs> yeah. really precipitous and screwy suspicious timing well yeah, that worked out in a weird way <laughs> yeah anyway. again i didn't expect i didn't see that coming i don't know what i'm gonna do with that now that's really f fucking weird uh, i guess at some point alex can open that web and go who's the body in here <laughs> is she still breathing why is she in here we don't enslave people so that's not gonna go well uh alec uh, running into his dad on the bridge who he'd you know had an, had an inkling was in town prior they're very estranged and his dad only ever seems to want stuff from him if there's money involved but the implication of that conversation was that his dad was involved in something else he didn't know about and alec didn't want any part of that he has this vision of his dad as this wastrel who did nothing good for him and left his brother and him to raise themselves and take care of their mother and he's not willing to shed that vision obviously even though it looks like there's a chance that his dad is doing something noble or important nope we're ignoring that fuck that you go you go your own way buddy that, that's a little real um yeah you know <laughs> and that's and near take you know taking it where it's got to go it worked really well with her uh milo of course the the thing with his daughter was gimme <laughs> you know what i did would she would you guys restored her spirit to the body i had another spirit tag along oh no i i pick, i figured that out but since zed wasn't part of his flashback zed doesn't know right and Zeke be like, oh, I totally forgot to warn you to watch her for signs of possession. I'm so sorry. That's normal. <laughs> That's normal. Um, uh, Dallin and the, the weird uh, dwarven lady who seems so pallid and, and drained. And that all goes back to the stuff I've been setting up with him since the first trip to the Ziggurat way back in Adventure 3 when he was like fifth level. 
you know, just ages ago. But I mean, the stuff is stuff that he's never pursued. It's like he get to take a look at something and then go, oh, maybe one of these now to figure something out, whatever. So then we just go on about our business, right? If, if a player character doesn't pursue something, I'm not going to force it on them. And then Brick with Raven. I mean, it was a, it was really kind of a cool opportunity to do that. I just had to figure out some way to make it work for everybody in a way that seemed relevant now with the timing and and feel real. Right. And it allowed you to narrate the part of the battle that really didn't need to be play-by-played and still have us be involved in the story. Right. With what led up to the to the evening. And it allowed the battle to not be everything. Monotonous. Right, because if it was just nothing but endless dealing with fight, situation after fight, rolls after roll, spell thrown, you know, person trying to cross this distance. I just wanted to deal with as much of it narratively as I could. You're getting here, you're doing a thing, and then describe, instead of describe, okay, you trudge 30 feet to here, and then you have your pace the next round, whatever, you'd be able to do, the waves are crashing in, and you can, the small salt stings your nose, and you can't hear anything above the roar of the water and the whirlpool, well, and the creaking of the mast as the ships are resisting being yeah. torn apart by a mirror. And then you're watching the other ships as they were getting torn apart, the other ships in the fleet. It was a pretty intense experience. I needed it to be. Yeah, and I totally enjoyed that. The, the other the other side of that is we had already, for the last three weeks, while we were dealing with this other situation, worked out exactly what pl- game plan we were going to do. So I, I actually appreciate the fact that we weren't given the opportunity to, to rewrite the game right. plan. What are you going like, to do now? I thought that was good. I, I thought that was a good idea, too, because <laughs> we're too on the often... Line. It's not time to change the game plan. We're out yeah. of the huddle. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, too often something comes up that, that fucks everything up right out of the gate, and somebody going, well, wait, wait a minute, what about the situation if we do this? And then somebody goes, oh, shit, you know, you're right. No, that's not going to work. That was a sports analogy, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't sports. You don't sports. Sorry. None of us do. It's okay. But we're gamers. That's what we do, right? I used to hang Pretty out much. with sport people. Sports ball? Do you do um, sports ball, John? No. No. So um, the whole uh, the whole experience there, I thought was was enhanced by the fact that you guys got to make a plan and then execute it, which I thought was a really good feeling thing. Characters at this level to just be able to fucking do. Yeah, no, and it's great. I mean, it was our plan. It was definitely our plan. It wasn't like you took control. You knew exactly yeah. what we planned to do. So, I mean, I could have run this entire scenario in a turn-by-turn, long, drawn-out combat situation that for us would have taken like three or four weeks because we don't have much time in a given evening to play. Well, yeah, when this hits, when this comes out in 2037, I think people are really going to enjoy the episodes. I'm going to shove that microphone where the sun don't shine, sir. Thank you. Well, so, being generous. <laughs> Him or me? Yes. <laughs> Good answer, Jason. <laughs> so. You realize while they bicker, you can just go over to a somtees.shop and get you a little bit of tea and enjoy an evening with that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Buy tea at the convention. Yeah, we're trying another um, high tea event this year. It was really fun last year. I need to get back with the the convention people and see if we're going to get the extra room that we were talking about. Oh, because I still, haven't talked to, I still haven't talked to the guys yet and find out. Because if that works out, we have everything covered. You do that and remeasure the board game room. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I shouldn't put notes in here. <laughs> Note <laughs> to Eric, while you're editing this, this we still need to remeasure the... Sorry. Not, not the place. But uh, yeah, convention is coming up. Sonomicon's coming up October 18th, 19th, 
20th. We're, we're in the middle. We're in the throes of making this shit happen. Uh, we're in the middle of planning all of the details right now. Jason asked me this week for details on game library stuff. I need to get on that. I am so excited. Tickets are available right now. If you get online, the link is in the show notes. Or, or you can, if you're in the Wichita area, you can go by the borough anytime and get tickets for like five bucks off if you buy something at the store, which is kind of a cool way of just, yeah, thank you for, for supporting our, our major sponsor there. And it, it's going to be a fun event. I mean, we've we got a lot of cool stuff planned and I, I'm really starting to feel good about it now. It's It's been a rough year, not going to kid you, uh, getting things rolling. So uh, definitely get your tickets in advance. We're going to be opening game registration here in another week or so, I think. You know, open for the VIGs first. I'm uh, excited. three or four days. And then and I, I'm just waiting on some more. <laughs> I'm mostly just waiting on some more games to get posted. Um, Sean said he's going to post VIG games here pretty soon for the stuff he's got planned. And he and he, I already have a, they have like all their games for the convention already planned right now. His so, VIG game last year was awesome. Yeah, he's oh, so he, good he at this. That's yes. so much fun. Um, and, and, and then, and, and we get new VIGs every year. I mean, we get new people getting in on it. And I, I love seeing the, you know, kind of different people try that out and take advantage of that that ticket and some of the services we get to offer at that level well so, that some of us is just because we really support the yeah idea the well con yeah in that's, Wichita. that's that's a gimme I, I think that there's no no shortage of thanks for the love you know gratitude for the love we get from everybody that just wants to support the con and be a part of it and keep making it happen and, and make it as good as we can make it and it's it's shaping up nicely now so for this year so is this six uh what's that is this six Yep, this is the sixth year. I'm starting to feel old. Of course, it's my son that makes me feel old, so the con's just kind of in there. But he was pretty small when I started it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you want to add on the Theater of the Mind discussion? I mean, that's, I mean, I feel like we go on and on. I I, I definitely, I I like. There are plenty of dead horses to beat. (laughs) I like Jason's point about the the perspective. You know, I think that's one that's always bothered me. The whole, um, this is, this is what my character knows, this is what my character is aware of. I don't want to be in a position to end up trying to make decisions based on what my character isn't specifically able to make decisions on. Right. And that's that's an immersive trope. It's it's a way to focus on being yeah. in character and consistent with their knowledge. And if I'm doing an online game, most online tools have ways of doing the fog of war. So you may not see the other side of the room. Do they until have ways actually of doing it differently you. for each participant? Uh, that would be interesting if it could, although that'd take a lot of processing power. Yeah, it'd take right, a lot of work the for the DM, Right, that's the problem with the table, too. is the fog of war is great until the person that's ahead of the group goes through the door, and now they can see everything in the room. I'm still outside the castle, but I can see everything inside. That's true. But, I mean, that's... It's and I also, want to start making plans, and I'm like, oh, I mean, no, he can't do that. I am yeah. getting more used to where I could use Theater of the Mind on the online games, too. I'm like, why are we even video connected? I mean, I don't really want to see any of your faces. <laughs> But I require it with a with a online gaming. I, I do want to see everybody's faces. I just turn my screen off. Role playing is effective. Role there's a lot of nonverbal communication in good role playing. There is in, in good characterization. So um, I I I really believe that that's a, a big part of um, this our, our success in that style. There are still people that don't like having the camera on. Some people that turn them off regardless. I'm not going to sit here and punish people for that. But I ask it. You know, my players. If we're going to do it online, I want to be able to see everybody's face. Now, I mean, the funny thing is that my camera has been one of the ones that's on the fritz now. My webcam, you know, <laughs> co- coats like me in Vaseline yeah. in front of it. It's, it's like, it's fucked up. Eric, I don't know it what doesn't to do. make you look younger. Stop it. <laughs> How do you know? Uh, yeah. I just don't like being at home and having to wear pants. Fair enough. Well, you don't have to stand up. 
<laughs> sidle out to one side. Yeah, and the one time I forget. I, I do have one point on Theater of the Mind versus Maps that hasn't really been brought up too much, and that's that Theater of the Mind really makes it so that players have to engage more. Like, a lot of the games that I'm in where they have maps, if it's not your turn, you're playing on your phone or generally not paying attention because when it comes to your turn... <laughs> no, we, we do that in Theater going, of the Mind, too. Well, still, <laughs> when it comes to your turn, you're going to then go, oh, I, I guess I should start paying attention and I'll measure out what my character can do and see the ranges and then ask, hey, what happened in the last round? And, and that's an interesting point. Again, I I think it's, it is arguable, not from perspective I agree with necessarily, but valid mm. that that's not a disadvantage because there are players who are going to sit there and fuck off and you know sometimes y'all you're also in a situation where you have slow players at the table and people have to wait 25 minutes to get back around to their turn that's and if, if the the trade-off for that is that i could get away with letting people entertain themselves in some way rather than having to sit there and pay attention to every little thing that just drives them nuts i'd rather they're enjoying my game by fucking around on their phone if that's the kind of i don't necessarily personally feel that way i feel like it's part of my job to try and expedite things you know i don't i think that i am i try to be hyper aware of everybody sitting there waiting their turn on stuff mm-hmm. i don't like the feeling of everybody waiting their turn now there's a couple ways to combat this one of course is to run small groups with a smaller group you don't have to worry about it as much because things go around rather quickly secondly you can play games where everything moves quicker you know dnd fifth edition dnd actually can move pretty quick especially at lower levels when you don't have a shit ton of uh, analysis paralysis going on but a uh, savage rolls is always going to be faster so I run a lot of Savage Worlds when I'm not running my main D&D game because, you know, we get into a battle and things tend to go around fast enough that you have people go, oh, what, what, it's my turn again already? Fuck. I wasn't paying attention, you know, and, and that's... Oh, I'm sorry, was it my turn? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. uh, sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, there is that too. Again, I don't necessarily feel that way. I'd rather everybody was engaged all the time. There, There is a level at which I see people sitting around and kind of distracting themselves with their phone or something and I sit there, some, there are times I sit there and think, God, I wish I could do that. But I'm busy every single round of the goddamn game describing something to somebody or engaging with what somebody is doing so I don't get to fuck off between turns. Why should anybody else get to? It's not our fault you decided to be the DM. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Of course, I mean, there's also the flip side of it. No one needs to know what all the other characters are doing because they're too busy doing their own thing. So. There's that, too. There's there's two sides to every coin. But if I, we know what happened, we're metagaming. Uh, yeah, let's not, let's not <laughs> go down that rabbit <laughs> yeah, hole, though. Yeah, but later on, you need to know what happened. When it happened, so he could shorthand. And there's a point to that, too, because the um, the the end result isn't necessarily specifically about not metagaming. The end result is, I think, the most favorable result is, is the result of a engaging and immersive experience. And sometimes that, that idiom of, for example, paying attention to what's going on provides story beats that everybody gets to enjoy that's part of that experience. You know, um, I love, 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 love cinematic scenes and events in my game. It's it's kind of what I live for in certain kinds of games. Um, and I, I don't push it as much in fantasy because fantasy has so many tropes that make it fun no matter what. But I do still try to get it sometimes, like when you're talking about the running and jumping. And we did that last, last week also with your... Uh, when you guys were fighting the priest in the room. Yep. You know, you guys have this one guy in a room full of sick people that you're trying to dance around. None of you are combat monsters in this game, which is fantastic. You're all capable, but you don't have you don't have two or three bricks running around here taking people out left and right. You've and I, got a we whole... We don't even have 
a brick. Yeah, you have a whole bunch of people that have some some capabilities. So when you run against one particularly good baddie, that could be a really touchy and fun battle. And it I still fun. managed to rip at his throat. <laughs> yeah, and no. When, and right before that, when the blind guy sees the bad guy across the room, says, there's no way I can make it past all of these people and still get to him, picks up his staff, hurls it like that a was javelin. Awesome. <laughs> And that, that felt so organic and in the moment because it also felt like it wasn't the brightest move in terms of like my character's abilities, and but it was so it cool. Explodes the athletic exactly check twice. It was great. <laughs> Rolled a nineteen. I'm Savage Worlds is very satisfying. I, and it's, it it's one of the things I that will say. There are times to. when I'm playing D and D and I roll a max number. I'm like, why can't I roll that again? <laughs> I, I want this number to be higher. Yeah, I I really enjoy uh, games that give you that faster, you know, more um, more satisfying combat experience. Combat isn't all the game is about, of course. No, you know, and you can get a lot of cinematic play that doesn't have anything to do with fights. You know, sometimes they can be, I mean, you have chases and you have cool uh, heists, you know, anything that's going on that has fun elements to it that you that's can imagine. That's what I like about Savage Worlds. It's so yeah. cinematic. It's great. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. But, but you know, I, again, you can do that in any game. Oh, yeah. You really can. And it just seems more organic to the Savage Worlds format. I say, Savage it seems Worlds like it belongs. all the rules for minis you need. And, and, and there's the one caveat to this entire conversation that I think is worth mentioning. I'm not a maps and minis guy, but Savage Worlds really, really challenged that for me because <laughs> of all the things. When you're used to running D&D, you're used to having to track so many stats for bad guys. You know, so if I've got eight bad guys on the field and they've all got their own hit points and they've all got their own attacks and damage even if they're kind of clones of one another and sometimes even the clones I like to vary up a little bit here and there but whatever the case I've got all this separate stuff to track Savage Worlds is built in such a way that with a couple of counters to represent things like shaken and wounded and um, you know aim tokens or you know any number of things that really help with that and I've got a bunch of those you could run everything on a map on a combat map with minis without ever having to write a thing down and I've done it. In fact, if instead of minis, a lot of times I'll print like little round, you know, counters, you know, one inch counters, and then put them on like a base that's kind of shorter, like a wood cut, a laser cut wood base. So they stand up off the ground, are easy to move, right? And since these are flat, I have these transparent tokens for wounded and shaken and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. And I can just lay them on top of it. So this guy's shaken. I don't have to write shaken down anywhere on anything or track which enemy it was or anything. The guy's on the map. I just drop the token on him and move on. You know, and so it's suddenly having the maps actually made something so much faster and easier that it's kind of a challenge for me to decide that theater of the mind is where it's at. I still run a lot of that because setting up maps is is a, a experience that's game-breaking to me. Well, we record so many games. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's important. But I've also recorded several games where we went ahead and brought out the maps for one reason or another. Sometimes the the so a lot of times it's a matter of like numbers. If there's a lot of enemies, it's just going to be easier, always going to be easier to track them with some kind of tactical so, setup. In in the past, I have run games where I did all that on my end. Uh, when I was running three five a lot, for example, in Pathfinder, I had a program that allowed me to track everything and then combined it all with a mapping program. So it was just on my monitor. In my laptop behind the screen where I saw the, the battle map and little dots for where everybody was and everything. And I moved around and kept track of it all myself. It wasn't fun. I got good at it, so it didn't slow things down a lot. 
but it wasn't my favorite way to handle battles. But sometimes if you've got 30 enemies, you got to have some way to track them. And it was either that or draw out a huge fucking map and have people. But then again, we've had those battles. Sometimes when you got the epic battles, you want to go ahead and let go a little bit of that control for purposes of running something epic. And so then you pull out the map, like the, the map of the, the the battlefield or the map of the, the mansion with all the shit that was happening out in front of it, where you got 25 or 30 bad guys on the field. So much so that you got minis everywhere. And every round, I'm looking at players and saying, hey, will you move number one and 16, you know, f- five squares forward? And will you, you know, um, or if you got out, allies you know in numbers and stuff like we had in that big battle that one time i was like um i signed a couple three players to handle little squads you know it just sometimes you just find whatever shortcut you can but you 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 make it big and you you make it epic and you try to make it work because ultimately that has its place too that's also why i didn't try gming until i learned savage worlds more yeah not having to keep track of all the hit points and everything it was overwhelming to the point of intimidating i'm really happy with the experience obviously we know that you know, it's all, it's all I seem to run, it seems, anymore if I'm, for campaign stuff. Uh, other it's than your my fault that I know game. Savage I'm not running 5e, I'm running Savage Worlds. I said that just recently on one other discussion. We were talking well, about I, settings. I first heard about it from a podcast, you know, and that's, I mean, I know a lot of people have picked up stuff from me and, and other podcasts and run with it as well. It's, uh, it's a great game. I, I certainly blame you, Eric. It's all your fault. Yeah, well, that's what and, happens. I and, get it. And when they improve it, they actually improve it each time. I really like what they did with Spidey. Swade's cool. There's stuff we keep finding that was interesting. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, did they, they changed the way that works. And that's always important to do when you're making a conversion to a new system. Right. Because you, you definitely want to know if they changed the, the way a rule works instead of just assuming it with the old way. Unless it's, unless it's going to slow things down a bunch at the table. Yeah. I will go ahead and take the time to stop and try to look a rule up or have somebody stop. Now that we have books at the table, stop and look it up, you know. And, uh, PDFs. <laughs> it, it's just it's just important, I think, to be aware of what they did in the system. And I like everything I've seen for the most part. It's pretty cool. I mean, there's some stuff that was neat before that they took out, but nothing that I've looked at and gone, I wonder why. Yeah, I was like, oh, I need that. No, I don't need that back. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Like Jonica was asking about powers that she should take, and I was like, you know, we were talking about various kind of approaches with the character because her character's got this kind of rangery shaman kind of vibe. But she wants something kind of druidic, and uh, I was like, well, I mean, you could you could focus on more combat stuff, but you don't want to do the entangle that every other person that does any kind of nature-oriented character is going to do, right? Because there's a lot of people that you probably do it with your character. Um, <laughs> entangles are, are a very common and effective yeah. power, and you can always visualize, you know, vines coming out of everywhere and shit, you know. Well, I'm Sky, so yeah. error, but yeah. Error, which, we, which we decided it was a really cool way to handle, you know, yeah. all leaders. But Is it like wind wrapping or something? Kind of, yeah. Something like just, that. Just kind of constantly blowing, keep it, you know. But, um, you know, it's a very anime visual right there, isn't it? You know, the wind flowing you know the the hair flying up on point and exactly and you've got to have like the white wisps to to show what direction the air is going yes actually <laughs> one of the things we talked about one of the one of the powers i mentioned in passing was like quickness and it's not a power anymore yeah and i get it it was it oh, was I so effective replaced that with a different thing i think they did i said we'd have to look it up and figure out what they did with yeah, it and they see if they changed it. the way it worked which they probably did because it was kind of an overpowered power but um again it's one that i have to look at and and see if we could find it. she she decided to go in a different direction so it didn't matter yeah she stuck to like healing and um no, I have the conversion notes in my phone. Yeah. And divination, <laughs> which she wanted, like, a, we, we decided on a divination kind of power that's, like, she communicates, her character communicates with, like, the spirits of nature, 
so like the rocks and the trees could her eyes and her ears so she can like at a distance across the woods and stuff sense people coming or even you know focus and see somebody like with the farsight ability i'm surprised she's not living in a swamp she'd be able to see the entire swamp at that rate right well, there is a swamp not too far from here, actually. But, I mean, it's... Oh, God, I'm she can see through the rocks and trees, and I can see through my owl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's... it's uh, see, this... Um, I mean, that that's the other thing. We'll have to give some time to on a show at some point. This game that we're doing now, and maybe we need to give us more time to develop and see kind of what happens, but this right. this game, this setting, it's it's Savage Fantasy, and in as much, whenever I do anything with Savage Fantasy, like I did with the Obsidian Crown actual play, I like to make it very different from D&D. And so I wanted a world that didn't feel like a D&D world, and characters that didn't necessarily feel like D&D characters. It boy, feel like D&D. I think no. we have accomplished that very nicely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, okay. did you find it yet? You're still... Oh, I guess it's not in my phone. That was really weird. I know. I have the Lankmar suede update sheet, but I don't have the uh, suede. So Nira's going to start her season four of The Strand this week, so she'll be running games. I got a few weeks left to get. I'll have to try to once she's done. I'll make sure and get her on the show a little bit and talk about it because uh, she's so good at it. She does just runs wonderful games. Download some apps so you can play with them on your phone while we're running. Yeah, you think so? Actually, in Nira's game, it's really hard to do that. Nira, she tends to keep things. You've got to stay focused yeah. on what she's doing because her stories are really interesting. And uh, she's she's shifting gears fast now too because we were talking about the other night. She's like, "Oh, I want to do this thing, but there's this other thing I wanted to do, but I was afraid it wouldn't work like this." And then this, 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 and I'm like, "Nobody's going to care about that." That and then she's like, "Oh, okay, maybe I'll do that instead." Then I it just she has this way of just kind of turning everything on a dime, and it's not like she doesn't go in prepared you know she's going to have all this shit kind of notated out in some way and and uh, largely ready to roll with but i'm looking forward to that and then uh look forward to your link more i can't uh, say too much i have more one-shot ideas than i care to count and then i mean hers will run like two or three sessions probably but it's kind of the same concept but the this will be our fourth time returning with these player characters we do it every year right before the convention oh that's awesome she runs uh, it's a dimension hopping game so every game every little collection of sessions has been a new place a new situation deal with we're trying to find the people that we our family members and stuff that were sucked into this other dimension oh that's fun but it, it's so it's been pretty cool the um and, and uh ken will be joining us this tuesday by the way guys that's that's kind of cool too i already knew that's ken, why ken will be back yeah just just for probably one session but um his wife and kid are gonna be out of town and he'll be actually leaving to join them i think in branson or something on wednesday so i was like um i'm free like monday or tuesday if you guys are game i'm like hells yeah <laughs> Do you have a character in this game in here? He just said, yep, Trip Burton. <laughs> he knew off the top of his head. Like, huh. Because she has this, like, gaggle of NPCs that we're dragging all around because we're, like, all a bunch of people from our town that were sucked through at once. So the the nice thing about that has been, like, if we needed a new PC or something, we could, you know, go, go to the out. well. Yeah. Uh, so that's been kind of cool. And it means we've always got people we got to take care of and kind of keep track of. Oh, I'm wrong. It's listed as removed. Okay, cool. Well, again, it was kind of an overpowered power, I think. It, was, yeah. it, it probably needed to be nerfed one way or the other. So um, I think that's all I've got. You know, uh, again, I, oh. I've... I, what's that? Sloth speed. Sloth speed is now slow and speed. Quickness reference links to sloth speed because while it doesn't do what quickness did, it's the closest thing they have now. Okay. Sorry, I apologize. No, you're fine. Uh, so I, if you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation, you know, we'd, we'd very much be, like to hear it. I, I have another topic that Alicia, Alicia discussed on her uh, 
uh, YouTube channel that I'm, I want to try to get her on the show to discuss because it was a really good and because her, her opinion is slightly divergent from mine. Um, in fact, her, her, her video hit a couple of, of con- comments and the way she presented things in the video that immediately set the hair up on the back of my neck. Like, I want to have this conversation because it's good and it's a cool topic. So um, hopefully we'll get to that soon. Uh, I'm going to try to get her on the show here. Uh, very soon. But if you have anything you'd like to add, any questions you have for us, any ideas, topic ideas you'd like to discuss, any, anything you'd like to read us on the air, drop us a line. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. And TsunamiCon, I can't wait to see anybody who's going to be there, if you can make it. Yay! Yeah, Yay. You'll see me. Yeah, good call. Uh, oh, hey, by the way, on the next podcast, you're going to be on it, Vanessa, so you'll want to listen to it. Okay. Oh, good I call. mean, you'll be, we'll be talking somewhat about you. Oh, we didn't bash anybody today that we didn't want to listen to. It's like... We were, just, we were having conversations about that beforehand. It's we like, were. you know, who do you not tell that you were on the show so they don't listen to the show? You know? Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate everybody being on here with me. Good show. going to go ahead and get on here. For, get out of here for tonight. Uh, thank you for listening to episode number, what did I say, 212? Yep. yep. 212. Yeah, if it's wrong, we're wrong uh, twice. I don't, I don't have a title for it. We'll figure it out in post. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm John. Good night, everybody.